Good morning. Had a beautiful day yesterday here in Central Virginia. Um, probably one of the prettiest days we've had so far this year. Uh, the trees are blooming. The people were out. Um, college for a weekend over at uh, Liberty University and Randolph College were playing field hockey games. And so we had parents from all over the state and around the country uh, coming out for those things. Um, let's see, it's Sunday morning now, April the 7th. Um, I have been trying to better utilize um, video. Um, I've been trying to get myself set up uh, to use it. Uh, some people, to be honest, most of the young folks uh, prefer video. I know that a lot of the older folks would prefer to read something. Uh, that's not the case uh, for most of the young folks. They want to be able to watch it on their smartphone <laughs> or device. So I've been playing around with that quite a bit. So anyway, I have um, been uh, meeting with a group of young people for probably two years now. Uh, when I worked at Liberty University um, as a director, I would, um, at the beginning of every shift, as the advisors came in, I would have a meeting with them. Uh, we called it a huddle for about uh, 15 minutes. And usually that was time for you to pass on new information, what was going on for the day, issues that students were having that, you know, they need to be prepared to address. Um, but I normally sent out a, like a, excuse me, like a daily memo that addressed all that. And I required them to read it before they came to huddle. So it left me a little bit of time. So what we would do is, and we were encouraged to, um, you know, give them kind of a Devo. So every day uh, they would come around my desk for 15 minutes at the beginning of each of their shifts, which was like eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, one o'clock. And I would give a 15 minute uh, Devo after my brief announcements. So we actually started working our way through Q and A's about the Bible and then started digging our way verse by verse through the Bible. Well, I did that for a while. And then when I left, uh, I had uh, many of them were like, what, you know, we'd like to still meet with you. So we started a home Bible study and we've been going at that for almost two years now. And we've worked our way through first, second Timothy, Jude. And now we're actually in the book of Revelation, chapter number 11. So I thought what I'd do today is um, share a little bit of what we've been doing in Revelation chapter number 11. So uh, let me turn on this recording here. So let's go ahead and open your Bible, if you got it today, to uh, Revelation chapter number 11. And I'll share with you a little bit of what we've been studying over the past couple of Sunday nights together. Um, Revelation chapter number 11 deals with the two witnesses. Um, and in verse number one, it says, And there was given unto me a reed like unto a rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise, and measure the temple of God and the altar, 
and them that worship therein. Um, but the court, which is without the temple, leave out, measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall they tread underfoot for 40, 42 months. So that verse this temple that's being spoken of here, here has not been built yet. It is referring to a yet future temple. But understand, in Jerusalem today, there is no temple. But there's going to have to be a temple so that prophecies that were made um, by Daniel, by our Lord himself, and by the Apostle Paul, for those prophecies to come to pass, a temple has to be standing in Jerusalem, and that is where the infamous abomination that causes desolation is going to take place. Daniel said that the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jewish people uh, by bringing sacrifice and offering to, the end, to, to an end, uh, and he will then defile the temple by setting something abominable in it. So in order for that to happen, there has to be a temple and an Antichrist. Uh, in Daniel 9, 27, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. A week in Daniel's prophecy is a week of sevens. Um, this is what we call Daniel's 70th week. And this week has not happened yet. Uh, it is yet future. This week will begin to commence after the rapture of the church. And it says in the middle of that week, three and a half years, into the middle of that week, he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even until the consummation. And that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So, um, in order for that prophecy to take place, there's going to have to be a third temple in Jerusalem. Also, in Daniel 11:31, he referred to it, and arms shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, and shall take away the daily sacrifice, and they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. So that hasn't happened yet. Um, see, there's a lot, so many prophecies that require a temple to be in Jerusalem. Uh, in Daniel 12:11, he said, "And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days." So again, this has not happened. So. Uh, according to Daniel, there has to be a third rebuilt temple one day in Jerusalem so that these prophecies can come to pass. Also, Jesus, uh, our Lord, said that Israel was to look uh, for an abomination standing in the holy place, which would be a sign that the season of God's wrath was come upon the earth. So our Lord told the Jews that they need to be looking for this temple Um of course, at the time, they had no idea that the temple that they were standing in was going to be destroyed in 70 AD by Titus Vespasian. But in Matthew 24, verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, 
the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Jerusalem or Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, and neither let him that is in the field turn back to take his clothes. And woe to them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. So our Lord warned about this also over in uh, Matthew 24, uh, verse number 21, and then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor shall ever be. And he said, and except those days should be shortened, there would be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. So there's going to have to be a temple so that the prophecies of Daniel can come to pass. There's going to have to be a temple so that the prophecies of Jesus will come to pass. And finally, the Apostle Paul told us that the Antichrist will set in the temple as God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse number 3, Let no man deceive you by any means for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first and that's referring to the second coming and the man of sin be revealed the son of perdition the antichrist who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called god or that is worshiped so that he is as god sitting in the temple of god showing himself that he is god so the temple has to be rebuilt so that these prophecies can take place. So when we open up Revelation chapter 11, verse number 1, we see here, there was given unto me a reed, a measuring device, to measure the temple of God and the altar and them that are worshiping around it. But the court, now this is interesting, but the court without the temple leave out, measure not, for it is given unto the Gentiles. And the holy city shall be tread underfoot for 42 months or three and a half years. So this temple that is already in existence, that John is measuring, um, has been tread underfoot for 42 months. Um, and, but it's interesting, it says that leave the court without the temple out of the measurement. Don't measure it. Now, that's interesting because Ezekiel actually saw the same thing. In Ezekiel chapter number 42, the Lord tells Ezekiel to measure this temple. And Ezekiel seeing the same thing. And in verse number 19, and you can read, I mean, there's a couple chapters there. This is toward the end. He turned about to the west, Ezekiel 42, 19, side, and he measured 500 reeds and with the measuring reed. And he measured it for four, by the four sides, and it had a wall around it, uh, 500 reeds long and 500 broad, to make a separation between the sanctuary and it's, it's called the profane place. So when John here is told to measure it, he's just said, you know, leave out the court. It's been given to the Gentiles. When Ezekiel measures it, it says, 
it's been it's the profane place now what a lot of people believe is happening here is that one of the ways the antichrist is going to bring peace to the world is by uniting the jew and the arab um and because you look now i mean the middle east is uh, very unstable the Bible talks about how God will make Jerusalem a trembling to the nations. Uh, and it truly is a trembling to the nations. I mean, look at our election right now. I mean, the thing that everybody's worried about is, is the Jew. You know, the Democratic Party is basically turning its back on the Jew. Uh, America has always been known as a Judeo-Christian nation. Now, that doesn't mean at all that everybody that lives in America is a Christian. You and I both know that has never been and probably never will be. Um, but America has always been a friend of Israel. Uh, America has always been an ally of Israel. And, of course, we go back to the promises that God gave to Abraham. I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse those who who curse you. We look at those promises and and we believe that if we bless Israel, that God's going to bless us. Um, but America's walking away from that uh, now. The Democratic Party uh, is becoming very anti-Semitic. Left-wing progressives are all, uh, as far as I know, anti-Semitic. Um, they walk away from the Jew. And yet God promises cursing upon people. Now, you know, we live in, you know, with, even within the church, not all of Christendom sees the Jew as God's special people. Uh, a lot of Christendom is what you would call reformed, uh, where they uh, teach replacement theology, uh, which I believe is inseparable from kingdom now theology. Um, they believe that the Jews are no longer God's special people and that um, um, the church has taken the place of the Jew. Uh, so they don't see a reason to support the Jewish nation. Uh, but the world is turning its back on the Jew. You know, just as the prophecy, I will make her a cup of trembling to the nations. Jerusalem, in my opinion, and in many's, is the barometer uh, to see what's happening because Daniel's 70th week that we spoke of here in these verses um, has still yet to happen. And as we see these events beginning to unfold, um, we can know that the end is truly near. And when I talk about the end, I'm not talking about some big bang. I'm talking about the rapture of the church. I'm talking about the rapture of the church will be preceded by the great falling away or the apostasy, which you and I are seeing every day. It's getting worse and worse and worse. America, the world is turning its back on God. Um, I mean, we're infanticide is now the platform uh, of the Democratic Party. Uh, LGBTQ, RXYZ, you know, has become um, the acceptable deal today, yet it's a total violation of scripture. I don't care uh, how you uh, <laughs> how you feel about it and what your emotions say about it. The Bible speaks uh, very harshly in regards to sexual sin. 
And there's more sexual sin than just homosexuality. I mean, there's bestiality, adultery, fornication, incest, and homosexuality, and God hates all of them. Um, you know, we can definitely see a great falling away, taking the what we call the apostasy, the turning away. I believe it's going to reach a point in our nation where uh, to be a Christian is actually not going to be a matter of convenience anymore. It's not going to be a matter of political expediency anymore. It's actually become, going to become a liability to, to call oneself a Christian. And you know what? In my opinion, it's almost a good thing because the church is so full of tares. The church is full of people who claim to be something they are not. They are not really a part of the body of Christ at all. Um, they are the mixed multitude. Um, and I believe that there has to be a, a threshing process take place. Uh, and I believe that's what's happening in our nation. Uh, when it starts to cost you something to be a believer, that's when I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be its strongest and move. So I think it's necessary for revival. Uh, so if we're praying for revival, um, well, you know, revival judgment starts at the house of God. Uh, he's going to have to thin out the ranks a little bit. Uh, Jesus had no problem with people walking away from him. Uh, he didn't, you have no recording in scripture of him running after them, trying to woo them back, trying to set up private counseling. He just, they walked away. Why? Because they did not believe. So I think the church uh, is going to get smaller. <laughs> the body of Christ, the organism, the church is going to get smaller as a result of this. And therefore it's going to get pure as a result of this. So, Anyway, we see there in those verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, um, the temple, the third rebuilt temple going to be um, measured. There's obviously going to be some type of wall. Again, I think the Antichrist is going to use this to bring about peace in the Middle East between the Jew and the Arab. Um, and there's obviously a court, there's a wall that separates the two. I believe on one side will be the newly rebuilt temple, and the other side will be the current Dome of the Rock Mosque. Understand that Christianity, for Christianity, Jerusalem, for the three world religions, Jerusalem is one of the most sacred, the most sacred place on earth uh, for Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims. Um, so it is the most prized, most sacred um, piece of dirt on earth and that's why there's been so much so many wars so many the crusades so much blood spilled over this land and it's not over yet my friend <laughs> it's not over by a long stretch um, so let's look down into verse number three uh, I'm not in a hurry today it's Sunday morning um, Verse number three, and I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. So who are these two witnesses? Um, well, who are they? I want to ask the question, why does there have to be two first? Um, why are the two of them? And then we'll deal with who they are. Um, why two? Well, the Bible says that judgment 
should only be meted out by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And make no mistake, the Lord, we're getting ready in the book of Revelation here to go into the great tribulation. Uh, and judgment, is, which is the latter half of the trib, uh, judgment is going to be meted out. In Deuteronomy 17, verse number 6, At the mouth of two witnesses, or three, shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. So the Bible says there needs to be two witnesses before the death penalty can be passed. In Deuteronomy 19, 15, one witness shall not rise against an, a man for any iniquity or for any sin. In any sin that he sinneth, at the mouth of two or three witnesses shall the matter be established. So there has to be two witnesses so that every matter can be established. Uh, the Bible tells us and makes it very clear that, you know, if these witnesses are so important that judgment cannot be passed except upon their word. And I, I find it interesting in the Old Testament, uh, you had to think long and hard before you stepped forward and accused somebody of something, especially um, that would require uh, capital punishment. Uh, because if it was found out that you were lying, um, whatever you uh, were, whatever punishment was going to be given to the accused would then fall on you if it were found that you were lying. Um, so you didn't have witnesses coming forward uh, like you do today, you know, in our political arena. Can you imagine um, you know, everybody coming forward. And I find it interesting, you know, that all these women are coming forward accusing these guys and then uh, they're found to be liars, but nothing happens to them. Um, let me tell you something. If they were punished, they would stop coming forward. Uh, man, we got such a mess in our nation. I just, I don't see it uh, rolling back, to be honest with you. We've come too far, but there's verses for this in Deuteronomy 15, 16. And it shall be if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee because he loveth thee in thine house. Let's see. Uh, that's, that's a slave there. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 15, 16 through 19. Uh, no, nah, that's not... It's not even close to what I was looking for. I'm not, I don't remember quite where the verse was, but it says that uh, whatever you thought, I think it's here. Let me see in Deuteronomy 19.15. Uh, oh, here we go. In Deuteronomy 19, verse number 18. So once the witness comes forward, the judges in verse number 18 shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and hath testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto his brother. Why? So thou shalt put the evil away from among you. And those which remain shall hear and fear and shall henceforth commit no more any such evil from among you. And thine eyes shall have no pity. But life shall go for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, 
foot for foot. Now, can you imagine if that kind of pressure was placed upon a witness that came forward today? Uh, they would think long and hard before they brought a false witness against someone. Um, so there's two because that's the law. That's what the law required for judgment. We also see a pattern of two witnesses well before the law was given in Genesis. <clears throat> in Genesis chapter 18, in the account of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, and you remember that God sent the two angels to verify that things were as bad as he had heard. Um, in, in Genesis 18, uh, verse number one, and the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, that's Abraham, and he sat in the tent of the door in the heat of the day, and he lifted his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him, and when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself toward the ground. And the Lord uh, and let's see, and, sa and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. So we see when the these three angels, one of them being the Lord, came to speak uh, to Abraham prior to sending the two witnesses down into Sodom uh, to see if these things be so. Um, and the Lord said, I will go now and go down now in verse 21 of chapter 18 and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. So we see this pattern that was given of two witnesses even prior to the law in Deuteronomy. Uh, back in Genesis chapter number 18. So that is why in Revelation chapter number 11, there's two witnesses so that every word could be established before punishment is meted out. And of course, that punishment is going to be the wrath of God that's going to fall uh, on, uh, on the world the latter three and a half years of the tribulation period. So why are there two? Now, the second question is, who are they? Now, I attempted to address this about a day or so ago, and I'm still trying to get all my tech, my technical logia lined up here, and I was having a hard time with it. But who are these two witnesses? Now, most will agree that these two witnesses are Moses um, and Elijah. Uh, because Moses represents the law, Elijah represents the prophets, the law and the prophets all pointed to the coming Messiah. Uh, the answer lies in looking at the miracles, I believe, uh, that they are to perform and compare them to the miracles that they performed in time past. Um, if you look in uh, down in verse number five, for example, if any man will hurt them, these two witnesses, fire proceedeth out of their mouth and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner um, be killed. Um, now, um, you know, looking back, um, Elijah had fire coming out of his mouth in Second Kings chapter one, uh, verses one through sixteen, and Elijah withheld rain. Uh, in 1 Kings 17 and verse number 2. 
Um, so it says of these two witnesses, if any man hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth, devours their enemies. If any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. These also, in verse number six, have the power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy. And they have the power of the waters to turn them to blood and smite the earth with all the plagues as often as they will. So if we look at these two witnesses, uh, this sounds like the same miracles. It is the same miracles that uh, Moses and Elijah um, did in time past. Um, you know, Elijah called fire uh, out of his mouth in 2 Kings 2, 1 through 6, uh, and he withheld rain. In 1 Kings 17, 2, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Go thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself in the brook Cheroth, and it shall be, you know, as I have commanded the ravens to come unto you. And he tells them that there's not going to be any rain fall on the land. Um, and then as far as Moses, I mean, we know that Moses um, did miracles. Um, he turned the water into blood in Egypt during the Exodus and brought about the plagues. Uh, in Exodus. Exodus chapter number four is when that started. Now, another interesting reason that many consider these two to be the witnesses is because their deaths are shrouded in mystery. Um, the Bible says that God buried Moses, uh, but Satan wanted his body. So there's a little bit of death for you. You remember Moses struck the rock uh, twice. He, he called him a bunch of rebels and why must I do this for you? And God took Moses up on the top of the mountain and he died and God buried his body. And we find that out in Jude verse number nine. Yet the Mike, yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil disputed about the body of Moses Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So, <clears throat> I mean, there was obviously something very secretive or something different about the burial of Moses' body. Uh, also, uh, when you think of Elijah, his death was a bit of a mystery as well. In 2 Kings 2, uh, verses 1 through 11, you know the story. The chariot came down and took up Elijah, and of course he dropped his uh, mantle, and Elisha picked it up. So both of these guys, their deaths are, are shrouded in, in mystery uh, in regards to uh, both these guys. So, you know, just more evidence, if you will, that uh, there's something different about Moses and Elijah and why these could be the two guys. But I think obviously the strongest evidence of this is the miracles that they, they, they did. Also in regards to Elijah, the Bible makes it clear that Elijah must come back before the great and dreadful day of the Lord in the book of Malachi. Uh, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, the last book of our Old Testament, it says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and spite the earth with a curse. So obviously there's a little mystery there. Uh, Elijah's supposed to come back. Now, if you remember back in in the Gospels, when John the Baptist uh, came out and began preaching his message, they asked him, 
they said, are you Elijah? Are you Elijah? And John said, no, I'm not. But later on, Jesus dealt with the issue of John the Baptist because he said in Matthew eleven thirteen, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Um, and if you will receive it, this is Elijah, which was for to come. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus said that John the Baptist could have very well been Elijah if they had received his testimony and received the word of our Lord. In Matthew 17, uh, verse 11, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall come first and restore all things. I mean, that's the, the promise of Malachi. But I say unto you that Elijah has come already, and you did not know him, but you've done him whatsoever you listed. Likewise shall the Son of Man suffer of them. So we see here that Elijah has to come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And John the Baptist could have been Elijah if they had received him, but they didn't. So now Elijah must come in Revelation chapter number 11. So we know that Elijah has to come. So if you want to dispute any of them, you can't dispute Elijah. Uh, he's going to have to come. I also believe that just as Moses and Elijah were witnesses uh, to the first advent, now scratch your head and ask yourself, when were Elijah and Moses witnesses to the first advent? Well, it was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, you remember in Matthew Chapter number 17, Peter, James, and John and our Lord go up onto the mountain. Who do they see there conversing with the Lord? Moses and Elijah. As they were witnesses to the first advent, so they will also be witnesses to the second advent. Now, some people will also point to the fact that their deaths are representative of how each of us are going uh, to get to heaven. Uh, we will die either like Moses or we will die like Elijah. Moses died and his body was buried. Uh, for If the Lord delays his coming, we're all going to die like Moses. But if the Lord comes in the rapture, then we're going to go like Elijah. Uh, notice that their ministry, these... these uh, two witnesses, is going to be 1,260 days. Now, keep in mind, <clears throat> you know, because you do the math on that number, it doesn't come quite out. It's because you're using the wrong calendar. Uh, keep in mind that, that prophecies in the Bible are based on a 360-day Babylonian calendar, not on our 365-and-a-quarter-day Julian calendar. Um because 360 days or 1260 days equals exactly three and a half years on the Babylonian calendar. 
that means that their ministry, the ministry of these two witnesses, will be for the first half of the seven-year tribulation, and it will end at what's called the midpoint of the tribulation, or at the time the Antichrist breaks his seven-year covenant with the nation of Israel, per Daniel chapter 9 and verse number 27. And of course, we know that going forward, it's going to be all hell on earth at that point. The first three and a half years of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to be like the average politician. Um, he's just uh, ruling and reigning by flattery. And, um, you know, the world is going to experience a peace that they've never known. You know, that's why Jesus warned when they say peace, you better be careful. You better be careful because I am the king of peace. There is no peace without Jesus. The peace that this world is longing for, unfortunately, is not the peace that only Christ can offer. And the Antichrist is going to be the one to give it to them. You know, I, if you've ever studied the three world religions, Christianity, Judaism, and Islam, you know what all three of them are looking for right now? A Messiah. All of them are looking for a Messiah. And all of them are looking for the same Messiah. All of them are looking for Jesus. Uh, the Jews rejected Jesus at his first advent. Um, the, the Christians are looking for the second coming of Jesus. And even the Muslims are looking for Jesus, Muhammad's prophet, to come and usher in Muhammad or Allah. Very interesting. That's a totally different study. I'd love to go down that road with you one day. And then finally notice, that's why he's going to be so accepted, because, of course, there's Jews that have rejected the, the gospel of grace. Um, they'll still be here. There's, quote, Christians that aren't really Christians. Our churches are full of them. I would venture to say most of them will be here when the Antichrist comes. Uh, <laughs> and, and the Muslims do not believe that Jesus is who he said he was, God. So the world is looking for the Antichrist, and they don't even know it. And when he comes, they're going to fall at his feet. For three and a half years, he's going to wooze and smooze them, and they're going to believe that he's it. And at the end of three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to be killed. And we'll get into what happens after that. But all hell's going to break loose for the next 1260 days or three and a half years or 42 months. But finally notice, and I'll conclude with this, that they are clothed in sackcloth. Now, we read many times in Scripture about people being clothed in sackcloth. Remember Jonah? Uh, clothed in sackcloth, you know, going into Nineveh. Sackcloth is a dark, coarse material made out of goat or camel hair. It's not the ideal material to make a t-shirt or a pair of shorts out, out of. Thus, it became the material to wear when in mourning or uh, mourning the loss of a loved one or to demonstrate humility, repentance, or sorrow. The two witnesses are evidently greatly grieved by the evil and unrepentance in the world around them. So we have looked at verses 1 through 3. This is just a side note. I, I'm not going through the book of Revelation with you guys, but this is what I'm covering on Sunday nights with my my home group, college kids, and just uh, I love them. And I've been able to do premarital counseling with them. I've been able, I'm getting ready to dedicate one of their their new babies 
and uh, watching them grow and go as they graduate and move on, getting ready to lose one to Shanghai, China, going overseas to be a business manager. But, but anyway, I meet with them every Sunday night, so I just thought I'd give you a little bit of a taste of what we're studying together in a, in a living room in a very informal setting. And we looked at verses uh, 1 through 3 of the of chapter 11 of the book of revelation so well god bless you guys um i hope that you have a a great sunday and uh, hey sylvia how you doing it's so good to see you so happy for the study yeah i i love teaching the word of god and god has just given me um a heart to minister to people mentor discipleship one-on-one -on -one relationships and he has really blessed me in that way. And, but I still want to use this form of media as well. Um, for those of you that don't know, all my I have podcasts on SoundCloud. Uh, if you go over to SoundCloud, I've got years of podcasts on SoundCloud uh, through a lot of the books of the Bible. You can download that app, put it on your phone, or you can look at it on your desktop through SoundCloud. I also have a YouTube channel that, I'm working on at the time. And then, of course, Facebook Live is a huge tool. This discussion <clears throat> page that we have is just for us, you know, uh, and I'm going to start posting things on that. And uh, I really want you guys to grow in your walks with the Lord. I'm growing every day. I see things today that I didn't see yesterday. Uh, I still, I'm going back through the book of Acts, verse by verse and chapter by chapter, and I'm seeing things that I've never seen. I'm, I'm questioning the assumptions, and you guys can see at the top of my discussion page, it's, it's assume nothing. There's just so many things that we just assume that aren't true in the Bible because it's what we've been told. And I've been guilty of it. I've been guilty of it. I've looked back at my notes and seen things where I assumed this to be so, and it wasn't so. I've been challenging you guys with some of those things, and I'll continue to do so. But listen, God bless you. Um, I know more people will see this, but Sylvia, it's good to see you. And uh, I hope that you have a good Lord's Day. Uh, let me pray for us real quick. And we'll go. Father, we love you. I thank you for the opportunity. Just so much technology, Lord. We can, um, the words that we speak, at least for me, go to far more people than could have reached behind a pulpit in a building somewhere. And I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for just the people that I've never even seen their faces, Lord. I've never heard their voices, but I see their clicks and their likes. And and I answer their questions through social media. And I thank you for this vehicle, Lord. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have a good Lord's Day. Remember how much you love us and you want the best for us. And you're working all things out for our good. God bless you. See you later.